Today on the Friday Reporter, we are joined by Sean Zeller, who is a colleague that works at CQ Roll Call and does a lot of really cool um, introspection and thought and kind of really picking the brains of um, staff and leadership inside the halls of the Capitol. And especially after January 6th, especially because we've been on lockdown, especially for, I mean, so many reasons, Sean's perspective and uh, thought about how things are going in the media space and uh, and what's going on was really one that I wanted to make sure was reflected here on the podcast. So Sean Zeller, thank you so much for being with me today. It's great to be here, Lisa. Sean, tell me a little bit about, uh, about your background. I CQ Roll Call has been a spot that you've been hanging out for a little while now, but how'd you get into journalism and, and how did you end up where you are today? Well, I, I stumbled into germ, journalism, really. It wasn't um, something when I started college that I thought where, that I was headed in that direction. Um, I wasn't someone who studied journalism in college. I really um, didn't know what I wanted to do. I was studying American history and literature and was trying, I enjoyed writing, I enjoyed reading, I enjoyed uh, figuring things out and talking to people. And so I found a summer job after my sophomore year of college at a public relations firm, mm-hmm. actually, ah. where um, this was pre, um, the internet was in its infancy, uh-huh. and the email and those sorts of things were in their infancy. And so I, you know, was given my desk and was told to help uh, promote some, some clients. I would call reporters and pitch them on stories, and I'd write, write press releases. And I found it a little frustrating because I really didn't, I wasn't very invested in the pitches. I didn't know the product particularly well. I didn't know if what I was saying was very was true or was worth writing about. And I sort of envied the people on the other side of the line who could make those judgments mm-hmm. and say, well, you know, this is worth this product is interesting and I will write about it or no, it's not. And so when I went back to school my junior year, I started getting involved in campus publications and I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the writing. I enjoyed the reporting and talking to people. And so I started doing some newspaper internships. Um, and I was in Phoenix after I graduated from school mm-hmm. at the newspaper there and working in the Scottsdale Bureau and writing little stories, local news stories. Nice. Um, but I wanted to come back. To, I, I had an interest in politics. I was, I'd studied sort of political history and I, I wanted to come back to Washington. I asked around where to, where might I find a job? And I just sent a, a flurry of inquiries and I landed a position at National Journal, which I'd never heard of, mm-hmm. but was kind of a small, uh, highbrow magazine, weekly magazine that did in-depth coverage of Washington, very sort of a tr- trade journal for political professionals very expensive, so no one had ever heard of it outside of Washington, but um, you had a lot of time to report and write and talk to people, and and I just stayed with it from there, and I, you know, I'd initially thought I would get into newspaper reporting, but 
um, I've stayed in this world of these insider publications. I went to Congressional Quarterly in 2005, and I found that I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy that the pace is perhaps a little slower than at a major newspaper, mm-hmm. but you're able to dig in a little deeper on the on the political side that I enjoy. So. You know, some of my direction has changed from what I initially expected, perhaps, but it, it's worked out. I've enjoyed my work. That's so that's so fun and, and really uh, unique in today's reporting environment in that it gives you the ability in the work that you do to really be reflective and take the time to write, uh, you know, more in depth, whereas many of your colleagues don't have that luxury. Uh, it's, you know, quick and it's fast and, and it's beat everybody else at their game. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, I think people sort of criticize that, that other side of the, of the news space because uh, it doesn't give us a chance to really get to know and to learn more about um, what it is that uh, really does help us sort of see uh, the issue in the context of history or in the context of um, really trends or otherwise. So, Sean, um, with the with the pandemic and having changed sort of the way we all do our work, what would you say is the biggest change for you in terms of uh, how you do your daily uh, reporting and, and the work that you need to do for uh, for CQ Roll Call? Well, it's not being able to get out and, and talk to people in person. We have a very limited number of people that we're sending up to the Capitol. Um, Normally, anyone could, any any of us could be at the Capitol at any time to cover a story, mm-hmm. um, but there we're restricting that, you know, out of concern about the virus and for our own staff and for the people who work on the Hill, and so that's you know it's tough because that's one of the great things about the job is meeting people, talking to them, talking to them in person is much more fruitful than other methods of communication. You know, I I I. Early in my career at National Journal, we did a lot of working the phones. Um, we talked with a lot of experts outside of government, you know, people on K Street and the lobbying world, government professors. You know, we were always looking for expert opinions, so we th- were working the phones in a way that a lot of journalists don't. So I've had to kind of fall back on those skills that I learned early in my career and that aren't as used now. It's amazing how little we used the telephone up until March of last year. And I think it's because people have, you know, we have phones in our pockets. Uh, We have a way to know who it is that's on the other line potentially or not. Uh, And it's, it has, it's really forced sort of an old uh, familiar way of communication back into uh, you know, our way of doing work similarly, similarly on the, on the public affairs side. I mean, I spend a lot of time on the phone. It's part of the reason why I, I built the podcast in the first place. Cause I wasn't getting a chance to catch up with reporters that I typically am a source for, or that I can be helpful to. Uh, so it was an opportunity, perhaps selfishly an opportunity to connect with folks like you to find out, you know, what are you working on? What's happening and how is it that we can be helpful to you all? And I guess that, that sort of leads me into my, not to interrupt, but that sort of leads me into my next line of questions is what is it that's working from the public affairs side into the newsroom? What kinds of pitches, what kinds of things are you finding useful? Are there any examples of, of pitches that have come through lately that perhaps were, were really good that we could share with our colleagues and friends so they know how to be better at their job? 
Well, for my my position right now, I'm writing a weekly column for CQ magazine, and it's typically, um, you know, tied to the news of the week in Congress, and that makes life you know things difficult for for public affairs professionals who are working for particular clients, unless they're working on that particular issue that particular week, and even then, it's it's uh, it's difficult for me to make use of what they present because I'm taking this. Uh, 30,000 foot look down and um, the people I'm quoting are typically the leaders of the House and Senate, the leaders in the White House, um, not outside experts, not outside groups, not a, not the people who typically make up the clientele of public affairs firms. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was a beat reporter for, for many years. And I think, you know, I've, the key, I think, is developing a rapport with the reporters on the relevant beats. And then when opportunities arise, you have that relationship to call upon them and, and, and discuss a client's interests and needs. And reporters, you know, they need people to quote. Um, and they need it at the, on the spur of a moment. Um, and so if you just have to be in position, I think, to present that expert, that client who is relevant to the story at the moment when it when the when the iron is hot that makes a ton of sense it's hard it is hard to do and and a lot of times i coach my uh my colleagues that are writing the press releases that really the press release now has i mean i think it was pr news about 15 years ago had written the uh the obituary for the press release itself because it's turned into really an, an industry where if we're smart we're writing short pithy uh comments on items that then can very easily be turned into comments for, for, you know, for reporting as it, as it goes forward. So that's something that we do definitely try to uh, help folks better understand uh, as they're preparing their materials for, you know, whether it's a legislative action, whether it's a, a regulatory movement, whatever it is, just to make it short and easy to use. Absolutely. I mean, people are just bombarded with, um, information nowadays in their in their inbox and it's hard to cut through that i mean i would say uh the way to cut through it is is the old school um the old school way um developing a rapport with people um meeting with them (laughs) you know it's difficult right now to do that but um getting to know people as individuals helps a lot that's so true that's so true. I, uh, I, I definitely try to ask people rather than sending out, uh, I mean, it's a great metric to be able to share with a, a client that we have sent the press release to 284 reporters. It's a terrible metric if you have to report how many even opened the email, you know, I mean, because the truth is, is that it's spam, you know, and so unless you take the time to figure out what specifically reporters are caring about, what they're writing about, what kind of angle and what kind of uh, information that they're needing, Boy, that really makes a tremendous, tremendous difference. Mm-hmm. So, Sean. Right. I mean, I, uh, I, because I know you, Lisa, I will open your emails. But a lot, I delete them as soon as they arrive. It's hard to, yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, and thank you for opening my emails because I'm <laughs> grateful for that. Uh, that keeps me employed in this town, that's for sure. Uh, so, Sean, the, the Friday Reporter, uh, you know, so I'm a kid born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, or really came of age in the 80s. Uh, this is this is the Freaky Friday, right? This is the flip where the reporter gets uh, to be asked all the questions. But also because it's happening on a Friday, my hope 
in these conversations is to have a little fun. And I hoped because uh, you and your family are creatures of Washington, D.C., you might have some uh, fun uh, plan or something you're most looking forward to doing over the weekend that you might be uh, interested in sharing. You know, um, I've been trying to get my kids out. My kids are 12 and 9. And because the pandemic has them mostly uh, shuttered up in the house working on their laptops, um, the weekends, uh, it's really important to get them out. So I'm a little worried. There's rain in the forecast. My daughter's she's taking a horseback riding lesson at the YMCA camp out by Annapolis. So I'm a little worried that'll be canceled. So I've got them signed up to take a tennis lesson down at uh, East Potomac Park. Oh, nice. And when they do that, usually I go for a jog around Haynes Point. It's a very uh, pleasant place to run. I love it there. So hopefully the rain will hold off and we'll be able to do that. Oh, and I also have an appointment to get my new driver's license, which I have been waiting six months for, and my license has been expired um, for several months now. <laughs> now they're letting me continue to use it because of the pandemic, but you know, this is a big moment. I've been waiting a long time for this. <laughs> and that's the DC. You're going to the DC DMV. Yeah, the DC DMV. Yep. I gotta make sure I have all my documents. Godspeed. Yeah, that's the worst when you go there. I've I've made that mistake. I had to uh, had to renew my license during the pandemic, and I arrived without one key, whatever it was. You know, one something. Either it was letter with my dress on it, or whatever it was, and. Man, that's a loss of a lot of time. So good luck on that. That is a great. Uh, yes, think, thank you, yeah. thank you. <laughs> uh, and finally, so my final question is, uh, and you're you've you've been in the space for a while. You work with a lot of smart reporters yourself. Uh, who would you most like to see as a future guest for the Friday Reporter? You know, I'm going to recommend my podcast producer. I do a podcast for CQ Roll Call right now. The the show I'm doing is called CQ Future, where we we look ahead on various policy and political issues. And my producer, Joanne Levine, I think would be an interesting guest for your, for your listeners. Um, she has, I think, been very creative during the pandemic in innovating in the podcast space because we can't gather. We have this beautiful studio in Washington that we just built out before the pandemic nice. and we can't use it. Um, so she's been very innovative in getting our newsroom on the podcast, in using the technology we have available to us, in, in doing shows that are geared towards what people care about right now. Um, we did a, for, for several months, we did a show specifically on the coronavirus. Um, and I think, you know, she's also uh, someone who I think could talk about balancing work and life during the pandemic. She's got children in DC schools. She's had to deal with all this like, like you and I have. And I think she would speak to your guests. I'd love that. I'd love to. Yeah. I will reach out to Joanne and I will tell her that you sent me. I appreciate that so much. And the one thing that I should, I should give a, a credit note to uh, Thomas McKinless, who was the great photographer who actually long, I mean, my goodness, like three years ago, he took that great picture of me sitting in one of your studios, uh, having a chat with you about, uh, about leadership and about a, a bunch of other things happening in the Capitol. But that great photograph that I now use on my website goes to credit goes to CQ roll call and Thomas and his, uh, his great skills. So I, I do that as a little shout out to him cause I appreciate it and I use it and I love it. Uh, 
Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. And let's find time to do this again sometime soon, maybe after the pandemic, maybe in uh, in a studio that doesn't look like my bedroom. And uh, <laughs> so glad you were here. I, I will look forward to it, Lisa. That sounds great to me. And that's today's episode of the Friday Reporter. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.